Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Benelin Day and Night Tablets. 24 hour cold and flu relief. Always read the label. Ask your pharmacist for advice. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, new research released this week revealed that 48% of people haven't discussed a health screening with anyone, including their GP. There are six relatively simple health screenings which could potentially save your life if detected early. The onset of symptoms can come quite far down the track. I'll be discussing that and revealing what the health checks are with Professor Carl Vaughan, lead cardiologist and consultant with Advanced Medical Care. And I'm sure you've heard of the Jack and Jill Foundation. They provide end-of-life care to sick children. And today I get an insight into some of the incredible work when I'm joined by Alana Barrett, mum to three-year-old Nora and liaison nurse manager Erin Watt-Shepherd. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it was all a bit quiet, really. We all went into a sort of quarantine with my son, who I told you last week had tested positive for COVID. And we decided to bring back the parts we had liked about the first lockdown, sleeping in a bit later, not rushing out to school, long walks, nice food. My auntie had been staying with us and my mum, of course, is there. And it's just been lovely family time. Um, But we will have to get back to a normal routine next week. Um, My son was fine health wise, no more than a blocked nose. And the rest of us tested negative. And I've been struggling this week with the focus on children and the COVID restrictions being levelled at them, particularly as I've just come from the eye of the storm, as it were, from mask wearing to asking them to choose one activity a week like soccer practice or visiting Santa. I think it's all getting a bit too much. Two years on in the pandemic, I feel there has to be a better way. I'm not saying I won't use common sense and follow restrictions and that there aren't people in ICU and that there are those who have experienced very difficult times during the whole of COVID-19. But I also think it's important that we ask questions. I mean, look, my kids are quite happy. They have each other. We are the lucky ones. I get that. And I know we've had generations previously who've lived through wars and all sorts, but cancel transition your work experience Masks for kids and teenagers in schools, severe restrictions in maternity hospitals for mothers and partners. These are a few of my least favourite things. And there just also seems to be so much anger out there. I would like to see a greater amount of empathy and the ability to allow others to have an opinion which might be a little different to yours. I saw a gorgeous child psychotherapist who I have worked with over the years as she often speaks to media. So through my work here at News Talk or on TV, She's off and on about child and parenting issues and obviously her phone has been hopping with media outlets asking her to give her opinion this week and I've seen her on on the news and she's had to turn off comments um, and come away from her social media accounts as she's been receiving threatening and abusive posts. So last week I was telling you not to forget the good that is coming from our collective experience and this week I'm calling out the opposite. I talk a lot on this show about holistic health, a well-rounded view of health in all its various guises, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and they are all interlinked. And this is not the rhetoric that we are getting now. There is one focus and one focus alone and I feel the lens needs to be widened. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. 
Now, are you aware of the five health screenings that could potentially save your life? Leia Healthcare commissioned research released this week that showed a staggering 48% of us have not discussed a health screening with anyone, including our GP, at any stage. The screenings include blood pressure, skin checks, diabetes and cholesterol and early detection of dormant symptoms can prevent more serious health complaints. Often waiting for symptoms is too far down the track. People put these screenings off for many reasons, including fear, cost, fear of finding something and just a lack of awareness around how accessible these tests are. To discuss this, I'm joined by lead cardiologist and consultant with Advanced Medical Services, Professor Carl Vaughan. Hello, Carl. How are you? Hi, Claire. How are you? Thank you for having me on your show. So, Carl... Were you surprised by the findings that people are putting off these life changing screenings a lot of the time because they don't know they're out there? Yeah, I was I was surprised on one level that so many people, uh, when you look at the, the survey done by Leia, so many people were sort of disconnected. But when I actually contemplated it a bit more and looked at what actually turns up on our doorstep in the hospitals, I wasn't that surprised because a lot of people come in oblivious to the fact that they've been incubating a medical disorder for, for for what we would know would have been a considerable period of time before they present with symptoms. So of some of the reasons, like I said, some people don't know about it, um, but there's also a fear, like you don't know what you're going to find if you start meddling, who knows what you'll find out. Whereas if you get something early, you can really avoid all the bad stuff you're hiding from anyway. Correct. Yeah. I think there's a fear of, of, of unmasking some big diagnosis and that's rarely the case. And if you do unmask a big diagnosis, then it's important to have that detected as early as possible. It's more of a search for wellness and maintaining wellness than a sort of a witch hunt for disease through a screening program. And the simple things like measuring blood pressure, body mass index, cholesterol, and assessing for the presence or absence of diabetes can be very important in the long game for patients so that they remain well into their 70s, 80s and 90s. So when should we be doing this? Well, I think we should take a look at our own numbers. And I suppose that begins by looking at your family history, see what happened to your parents, uh, your siblings, your maybe your grandparents. If there's a strong family history of cardiovascular disease within a family, then you pitch your, your screening towards that. If there's a strong family history of something like colon cancer within a family, then maybe you go down that channel. But there are certain basic things that everyone should know at some point in their life when they're in adulthood, and that be your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your, your glucose burden, and your body mass index. And then people should have a general wide angle lens on so that they keep an eye on their skin so that a mole doesn't get neglected. And then at certain age stratification for ladies, they would have cervical uh, screening done. They would have mammography through breast check at a, at a slightly older age. And then colon cancer screening and, and, and bowel check through the HSE. And all of these um, items are laid out very nicely and, and Leah's website and, and your, your listeners can, can access that menu and that suite of, of possibilities on the Leah website, which is very useful to see them all there to glance on one web page. Yeah, and I think it'll be the same with other health insurers because something I hadn't really contemplated is your health insurer wants you to be well, don't they? And that's not to say there isn't heart somewhere in this, that it's all cynical. Absolutely. But they do. They want you to be well because then you won't claim. So chances are, if you have a look, I mean, I I have found myself a lot of this adulting, as I call it, is quite difficult. If a letter comes through the door and tells you you've to go for your NCT or you've to go for your cervical check, you follow up and you do it. But if you have to go and seek it out yourself and read through 
reams of information, you're not likely to do it. But the information is out there. The information is there and people are getting more sophisticated about collating it and having it in one location that's very user friendly for the client. And the insurance companies are absolutely right, because if someone has risk factors for a stroke and they have a stroke when they're 55, they're going to consume massive quantities of euros in being managed for that disorder that can be prevented by doing something inexpensive and much earlier, like tr- treating high, high blood pressure. So the, ins- the insurance companies are right. And we ha- we are, we're not a healthy nation. I mean, our outpatients are full. If you look at waiting lists and numbers waiting to be seen and the number we see per month and the outpatients nationally, I think it's something around 200,000 outpatient visits a month. It's a staggering burden of interaction, a lot of which can be prevented by boxing clever in younger people. And is the GP your first port of call in all of this? Well, I think yourself is the first port of call. I mean, I think we should all take a look at ourselves. We're probably all a little bit overweight. We're probably all not having an optimum diet, but I think everyone should have their weight measured, their blood pressure measured. They should look at how much physical exercise they do. And then every so often they should have some some labs drawn to make sure that their their, their lipids, their cholesterol is okay and they're not diabetic. And then at certain ages, they should engage with certain forms of screening. I mean, young girls should be having cervical smears girls of a certain age then should have mammograms and the bowel check would be relevant to some families much more than others but everyone should keep an eye out for for maybe symptoms of bowel disease and get advice from their other members of their family and then start with their general practi- practitioner they can get advice from their insurance companies as well um through through these screening programs such as uh, the leo website and they can take it from there and, and and some patients will need input from an expert in a particular area um maybe a gastroenterologist for bowel symptoms, a dermatologist for a mole, a cardiologist for other areas. But the general practitioners are excellent and they will they will always point the patient in the right direction. There's going to be people listening who are going to say, but like, I know all that. I, I've, I'm carrying a bit extra weight. So what? Just leave me be. What will all this information tell them? Well, I think... The, what, what what you really want to do is being a little bit overweight probably is not catastrophic, but what you want to make sure is that there is not a, three or four other problems incubating under the tip of the weight iceberg. And I see many patients who come in and they're, they have no symptoms, they're a little bit overweight, and then we discover they have a bad cholesterol panel, then we discover they're diabetic, then their blood pressure is elevated, then you detect something else, and they're sort of unraveling. Um, and I think a lot of people in Ireland don't get check don't get checkups. And I know it's been difficult to do that in the last couple of years. A lot of patients have stayed away. They don't want to bother their family doctor because GPs have been inundated with um with dealing with the pandemic. But I do think it, when we get back into steady state and hopefully in, in 2022 we will be, people need to understand that there are simple things they can do to make themselves live longer. Not everyone will find a problem, and those who do find a small problem can head it off at the pass. Because we talk about health in the wrong way sometimes, don't we? It's all the things we should be doing and it becomes a stick with which to to beat ourselves with instead of looking at it to be a positive thing and an empowering thing to take control of our own health and, and take positive steps to improve the quality of life and the length of our life. We don't really hear that enough. And I think that's maybe why people avoid it and wait until the crisis time. Absolutely. And I think maybe disease screening is the wrong term. Maybe it should be, you know, health awareness or 
optimum health maintenance or some other some other label that you know th- these are good things to do to have your dental hygienist uh, make your sure your teeth are good to make sure that your muscles are exercised properly to make sure that your your weight is as good as you can get and to take the advice then from healthcare professionals and take the appropriate medications where they're necessary for conditions like high blood pressure all of those things are important it's all the small things put together that gives a healthy package and should we be taking it away from the GP surgery then if you aren't going with symptoms, if you are just getting a check? I think there's there's a strong case to be made for for, for having screening offside. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of football and rugby clubs and soccer clubs do screening of their athletes. A lot of large corporations in Ireland are using screening that's done at a, at a corporate level, not necessarily through occupational health, but through screening programs such as Advanced Medical Services, who are the ma- major provider of that nationally. And then insurance companies are taking the lead now as well um, in inviting their clients in to maintain wellness, and that's an investment in their clients' health, but it's also an investment in in, in, in healthcare euros futuristically so that we will be a, a, a leaner, healthier um, race. Because even in, in your line of work as a, as a cardiologist, you obviously work with a lot of people at that crisis time. And it's crazy to think that in some cases, a more regular trip to just have something attached to the arm and check the blood pressure could have halted much of what ends up with your expertise yeah I, I certainly think a lot of cardiovascular disease is develops in childhood and teenage years um, it incubates through the 20s and 30s and into the 40s and then it starts popping up with a heart attack or sudden death heart failure um, valvular heart disease and strokes and sometimes arrhythmias now some of it is absolutely not anyone's fault these are some of it is just random badness some of it is genetic conditions that people inherit or develop themselves but other uh, conditions um, coronary artery disease is driven by smoking high blood cholesterol levels high blood pressure and diabetes and very often we will see a gentleman coming in who's had a, a heart attack he'll get a coronary stent deployed and we'll find out the next morning his glucose is elevated and then his cholesterol is elevated and he's got some protein in his urine and he's overweight and then he's got gout and then the whole thing unravels. But all of those conditions were there silently incubating in the background and then they're, they're, they're retrospectively diagnosed when he turns up to the coronary care unit with an extreme event. Because I'm often asked as a health and wellness presenter, what is my number one tip? And I and I always say it's it's getting to know yourself. Um, and and that's not only on a, on a physical level, but on a emotional level, knowing what your triggers are, knowing what your boundaries are, but also knowing how you feel and checking in with yourself. And you know, sometimes that comes with some symptoms, and sometimes it it it, it doesn't. And I think it's important that we keep checking in, whether we do it in in January and that's the time we always do it and then we know it but that they're the foundations of your health aren't they to make sure that you've got those basics in check and then the rest can all flow from there absolutely so there's the 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 preemptive strike as you said you know getting in touch with your your numbers and yourself and mentally and physically and then there's this this the, the the problem of symptoms now symptoms can be very subtle you know a man can develop uncharacteristic indigestion blow it off and then three days later it can turn into something nasty like a cardiac event symptoms can be very difficult to discern for patients and even for healthcare professionals so not ignoring symptoms not ignoring the mole not ignoring the the offer to come and have some basic measurements these are common sense approaches but i think we're all guilty of 
being busy, running around, blowing it off. I'm all right, Jack. It's not going to happen to me. And then something pops up, and 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 diseases are, are are cruel the way they pop up and 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 take people off their their pedestal very quickly. So a reminder: those checks then are your blood pressure, your diabetes, your cholesterol, your skin, keeping your skin in check. Am I missing one? Well, I think certain forms of cancer as well need to be watched. I mean, look at what we've witnessed in the last couple of years, the, the tragedies we, we've witnessed with cervical cancer. Now, there's vaccines out there now for cervical cancer, but cervical screening still is uh, something that's important in Ireland. Breast cancer is, is a substantial problem. People need to watch out for that, particularly as a family history. And bowel cancer, colon cancer is imminently treatable if it's caught early at the polyp stage. So asking yourself the question, is there bowel cancer in my family? Should I be talking to my, my, my healthcare provider about that, my GP? Should I be having a colonoscopy at a certain age? And obviously, if there's any symptoms along any of those pathways that you would be much more uh, proactive and, and much quicker at doing something about it but the basic part of the pyramid is healthy diet healthy weight get to know your numbers check in every so often do a little nct on yourself and then go where the current takes you and where your family history takes you well professor carl vaughan thank you very much for coming on thanks very much claire coming up after the break i meet a family and their nurse from the jack and jill foundation Alive and kicking on News Talk with Benelin Day and Night Tablets. 24 hour cold and flu relief. Always read the label. Ask your pharmacist for advice. Now, Jack and Jill nurses deliver specialist home nursing and end of life care to children facing a wide range of complex medical issues. Their conditions are often sadly life limiting and it can be hugely challenging yet rewarding work for the hundreds of nurses who are there for the 396 Jack and Jill families the length and breadth of the country seven days a week. One such woman is Specialist Children's Liaison Nurse Erin Watt-Shepherd from Canada originally. Erin arrived in Ireland in 2015 and joined the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation three years later. A paediatric nurse, she's now responsible for the care and support provided by a team of nurses and carers to 28 families in the four counties of Mayo, Sligo, Leitrim and Roscommon. And she joins me on the line now. Hello, Erin. Hello. Erin, what a lovely job to have. I'm sure it's very challenging at times, but as I said in the introduction, hugely rewarding at times too. Oh, absolutely. Like it's really, it's very rewarding and very, you know, you feel like you're actually, you know, you get to know the families in their homes and then you get to physically help them by putting another person in the home to give them um, help, you know, whether that's, medically needed or just you know to get out for a walk or to the shops or you know that kind of thing so yeah I I really love it Um, because often when we hear of a sick child we think oh my god what can what can we do and I know as community and family there are supports that you can do and you know we'll talk a little bit about donations and how they will help but you must really feel like you're you're making a difference and, and you're giving back yeah Absolutely, because I can, you know, I can go in and, um, you know, I am a, a, a children's nurse, so if they have questions, I can answer them. I can link in with their their medical team or their, you know, the the um, speech and language, the OTPT, you know, I'm part of that team. Um, but yeah, then to, you know, have be able to coordinate and get people into the home to, to you know, give the mum and dad a break. Um, and help them do their therapies and that, you know, help the child. It's really, it's 
it's lovely and there's never no two days are ever the same. So what are the basics that a family might need when a Jack and Jill nurse arrives? Usually it's just a bit of time. Like and we used to call it the gift of time. Um, but you know, most families have more than one child. Um, sometimes the Jack and Jill child is the only child. So there's siblings and so there's everything that the Jack and Jill child needs. There's also everything that the siblings need. Um, you know, often the parents are working. Um, and so usually what they need is just a bit of time to like clean the house or get the groceries or, you know, they, they can't just drop, you know, their Jack and Jill child off to granny and go because they might have tube feeds or seizures or things that family just, you know, may not feel comfortable looking after um, the child the way that we would sort of normally structure our, our child care. And so that's why we would put in, you know, a nurse if there are nursing needs or a carer if the needs are slightly less medical related um, and just give that time to the families to, to do whatever they need to do with it. Yeah, because, you know, love is one thing, but when there are medical complications, I'm sure it's a real breath of fresh air when another medical professional comes in and you can feel safe to leave them for an hour and go to a football match or a supermarket or just lie down and and, and have a nap and and know that that child is going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you act as a bit of a, a counsellor as well? Because there's a lot going on. Um, it, would that be in the realms that you would be a listening ear to what the family are experiencing? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I, I feel like my role is hugely that, you know, and and just having someone, you know, in your home that you can talk to, I, I think is a valuable resource. I know I get a lot out of it from the families. I hope that the families get a lot out of it as well to have someone who you can bounce ideas off and you know sometimes these families are dealing with really you know hard decisions or hard realities and having someone who understands and is not you know can be a little more objective you know to bounce ideas off that's kind of that would be a lot of my role. And is it a fine line between becoming woven into the fabric of the family um, and becoming like a friend to them and keeping it professional. I remember reading a book about a woman writing about her experience of her husband having motor neuron disease and even hearing of all the medical professionals coming in and out of the house and the change. And I mean, it is just coming into your your home life. It does take a little bit of of getting used to no matter how well intentioned that health can be. So how do you navigate between that? Yeah, well, my role, you know, I get to know the families over years, but I would be only visiting them sort of, you know, regularly or semi-regularly. I'd say some of the nurses that would be doing the hours, say the regular weekly hours, they do become part of the family and part of the, you know, what the family needs to do their everyday life. Um, now, that being said, there are still, you know, confidentiality. We are professional, you know, they have to keep their code of ethics as a nurse and, and that sort of thing. But but there is um, sort of a, a loveliness to have, you know, a confidant who's also a health professional who knows your child so well that if there's something a little off or you're like, I just feel like there's something, you know, you have that other pair of eyes and expertise on hand to say, yeah, no, I, I do think there's something off and, you know, and you can work together 
like that. But it is, it, you know, for families, it is hard sometimes. It's the initial accepting the help, like accepting that somebody will come into their home. Um, that can be a little tricky. Um, but generally speaking, once they do get in and see the value from it, yeah, there's, a, you know, a, a good relationship develops. But that's why it is gifted work that you do. And I remember we interviewed a palliative care nurse here on the show and it's the same. It's this way people like you and the team at the Jack and Jill Foundation have because people are reeling in these life experiences, whether it's bereavement, loss, illness. And often with a sick child, it's it's ever evolving. And to have this steady, calm person coming in it, it's it's an incredible it's incredibly skilled work I think all nurses are incredible but this is a very special work how do you mind yourselves through it all Erin because I'm sure at times it, it gets challenging particularly if a, a child you've been working with and and the family you love the child passes and just dealing with the day to day we always say you know children should have a, a childhood and often illness can stop that a little bit and stop them doing things that we associate with childhood. Yes, and that's what, you know, that's why we we try to help the families, you know, give the other siblings a bit of normal life too. But as far as for myself, we, there are 15 of us, you know, the liaison nurse managers through around the country. We cover all 26 counties and we're very good at connecting with each other. Um, and so I always can pick up the phone and call, you know, if I'm having a rough day or something's going on, you know, I just need to say it out loud to someone. Um, we also get clinical supervision regularly, which is huge because then we have somewhere to, you know, bring what we see and do to someone else. Um, and then, you know, personally, I have two kids of my own and I have a dog and walk the dog, play with the kids you know, knit, crochet, you know, those kind of things to just give me a little bit of a ooh, break from, um, you know, I think we all need a little break from the real world sometimes. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know what the toolbox is that you need to keep yourself straight and you lean on those things from time to time. Exactly. Yeah. And support does continue with Jack and Jill families with bereavement counselling if a child does pass. And and I think that's amazing for the families to know too. It's It's not like you know, you should up shop and, and move on. You're very much still there for them through all of that. Yes, absolutely. You know, and from like initially, you know, as soon after and, and through the funeral, but then also ongoing, you know, memor- remembering things like their first birthdays after they've died or their first anniversaries and subsequent birthdays and anniversaries. And we also have a remembering our little ones which is like a video we make every year of the children who've died, um, who've been part of the Jack and Jill family. That happens every year in November. Um, yeah, so it is huge. that we, we are part of their family and we remember the children, you know, um, all the children that we've worked with. It is such incredible work. And looking at the researching for this interview, for talking to you today, there is quite a long wait time if you go through the HSE, whereas Jack and Jill can have somebody with the family in, in two weeks. Yeah, we, we, we do try. Now, it, obviously, it depends on where they are and what they need. But we try our best to, as soon as we meet the family, to start looking, who do they need? What do they need? Do I know someone put up an, you know, sometimes we put up an ad on social media. Sometimes we have kind of a list of people we know who've done Jack and Jill before 
And yeah, it can be as soon as, you know, the following week or the week after, um, if all is going well. And there, you know, there's no waiting list. There's not like a maximum capped amount. You know, it's just the more kids we take on, the more fundraising we need to do, you know, to cover the cost. Amazing. Well, I'm going to let people know a little bit later how they can help support the incredible work you do. But I'd have to say thank you for all the amazing work you and all at the Jack and Jill Foundation are doing, Erin. And we do wish you all the best. Thank you. It is my pleasure. That's Children's Liaison Nurse Erin Watt-Shepherd. I'm going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be meeting Alana Barrett, who knows only too well of the fantastic work the Foundation do as they have come to visit and help her with her family. And you're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, before the break there, we were talking to Children's Liaison Nurse Erin Watt-Shepherd of the Jack and Jill Foundation about the incredible work they do and someone who knows the benefit of the foundation only too well is Alana Barrett and she joins me on the line now. Hello, Alana, how are you? Hello, how are things? I'm good. You were listening away there to to Erin talking and... You are very much a part also of the fabric of the Jack and Jill Foundation. Tell us a little bit about your gorgeous little girl with the big laugh, I hear. Uh, Nora is her name. Mm-hmm. Yes, Nora. So uh, Nora will be four in January. Um, and Nora loves um, reggae music. <laughs> Nora loves very strong flavoured food. Um, she absolutely loves uh, bouncing on the trampoline and bouncing on the bed. And she has the kind of smile that when Nora smiles and laughs, it never goes unnoticed. The world stops when Nora smiles and laughs. Um, and she also happens to have a very rare neurological disorder called KCNQ3 neurodevelopmental disability, um, which means that she uh, at about five months old. Um, she started to have visible seizures, but she was probably having seizures a little bit before that. Um, up until about four months, we didn't think there was anything to notice. And then at about four months, she stopped smiling, stopped interacting. And then we noticed the seizures at five months. Um, she had a, a, a particular type of seizures called infantile spasms, which are a, a medical emergency is the way they're to be treated. So we wound up in Crumlin for a long time and... For that first year and a half, two years, we were really battling a lot of seizures every day back and forth to Crumlin. And we eventually got her diagnosis then of of this very rare um, genetic disorder. As far as we know, she's the only child in Ireland. and There's only a handful of cases known around the world. So it means that she's um, she's got developmental delay. So she's not able to sit up or stand up independently. She's fed via a tube in her tummy. Um, she's not able to speak. She has visual impairment. Um, you know, she she hasn't uh, got terrific hand function, um, but she's doing well. You know, we're, we're working hard on getting her sitting. She has a standing frame. She's eating a bit. So yeah, she's, she's a great girl, a great girl. And amazing that you started off. I think it's so important with her laugh, her smile, her love of reggae music, because this is just a part of, of who she is. And I think it's really important for us to hear that she can still be a gorgeous, positive member of your family and not someone who's just sick in the corner. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nora is the heart and soul of this family. For Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what do you remember about that time, Alana, trying to take on all of this new medical information be there for your daughter is it all a a bit of a blur 
Um, it, you know, it actually isn't. I think I could probably replay the videos in my mind so clearly. Um, you know, with Nora, I had had concerns in the lead up to these visible seizures starting and um, the signs were quite subtle. Um, and, you know, it's something kind of only a mum would notice, a mum and dad would notice that it was really hard to to, to describe. Um, so, I mean, I, I remember that that drive to Crumlin with um, Nora having seizures in the back of the car and I don't know what speed we did going up that road but we we flew uh, to try and get up for her EEG um, I remember I remember meeting our wonderful neurologist in in Crumlin and um, the the nurses and the kindness that they showed us um, I suppose we had come from a place you know not two or three weeks before where really we this was completely new to us you know um when Nora was born she was very overdue so there had to be a doctor present for her birth and I had been told about this in advance and the doctor handed her to me after she was born after she checked her and she said you have a perfect baby girl and as far as I'm concerned that statement still holds but I know what she meant she meant there was nothing to worry about so that's where we were and then it all changed really in in, in the space of a week um you know, a tube went in to help her to be fed. We were dealing with epilepsy and seizures and things we had never really contemplated before. And I think it, it took a long time for that message to to kind of resonate with us. We didn't know what, what was going on or what the future might hold. And we still don't. But I, I think we, we didn't realise kind of maybe what kind of disability she might have going forward. So all of those conversations are, I could nearly tell you the date they happened, where I was. <laughs> um, I remember it very clearly, I have to say, yeah. And what about that transition then going from being in the hospital um, with all the, the medical care and then transferring that to home and it becoming part of your daily life? Yeah, I think when we were in hospital, you know, the attitude was very much, you know, there's a goal of, right, well, we, we you know, Nora needs to be well enough that we can go home and we have to try and get these seizures under control or we have to get something in place so that we can go home. And then we got home and the feeling is, Okay, now what? <laughs> we still have seizures. We still have tube feeding. So yeah, it, it, it's a funny. It is a, a very strange transition in that you, you're so goal for focused, and you have something to do and somewhere to go, and then you get home and you realise, no, this is reality now. This is completely different. Um, and like I said, that kind of first year and a half was a lot of time up and down to Crumlin, but it was kind of after our first you know, big stay in Crumlin that we were introduced to Erin um, and introduced to to Jack and Jill and um, that Jack and Jill came into our lives then to support us around that time when we were just in that phase of, OK, now what? <laughs> how yeah. do we how do we cope now? Um, so, yeah, again, another I'll never forget that, you know, the, the day that Erin um, and her colleague Kathy came to the house and uh, talked to me about Jack and Jill and, and what Jack and Jill do and even when the suggestion was Jack and Jill come to the house, I I didn't know what Jack and Jill do. I I really I mean I'd heard of them, but I hadn't really fully got my head around what it was that they could do. And I think part of me thought, oh, but I, I don't you don't have a very sick child, and you know. But then very gently and very skillfully, as you said, Erin and Kathy talked to me about well, how would you get out to the supermarket, and you know what what would happen if someone else needed to do one of those tube feeds, and how much sleep are you getting, and you know it just started very gently. You know what would you think if someone arrived, and you know before long we had met our wonderful Jack and Jill nurse Trish, and yeah, but it just you know became part of the fabric, part of the family, and Trish arrived, and and just that you know you're 
looking after a child who's having seizures, who, you know, um, was on a very specific um, feeding regime. So the feeds had to be given at a certain time, at a certain volume. And, um, you know, thankfully we had, you know, physio stuff to be doing and OT stuff and, and seating and all those kinds of things. And to have someone to come into your home that can mind your beautiful child you know, who's got the the necessary skills and is so caring and can take on board all that stuff is just, you know, you just kind of get that moment of, oh, God, I didn't realize how <laughs> that I've been holding my breath so long. I can breathe. So, yeah, it was it was so important. Because, of course, you're you're Nora's mom and she's the center of, of your home. But you also I know families still have to work still. You still have friends and other family you like to see. I know you have Tomas now. He's he's one. Um, but when you talk about the feelings you got leaving her for the first time, it's the joy of the simple things like going to the supermarket on your own. It is so important for you to, to take that time too and it enables you to come back then fortified for Nora again. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you everybody reaches burnout and I think having having a child with very complex additional needs um you know it's all consuming and it's all i mean for every parent being a parent is all consuming um but you know you're listening out at night for seizures you're listening out at night to see you know very simple things like like vomiting bugs in our house are my ultimate dread because Nora's not able to sit up she's not able to roll she can roll onto her side now but you know vomiting for her is, is really dangerous so you're constantly listening out just to make sure that she's okay so yeah to have someone to come in that you can just step outside for a little while and recharge those batteries so that you can go back and launch back into that stuff again is is essential and, and you know I think probably we've all gotten a bit of a taste of it over lockdown that everyone knows that when you've gotten that chance to just you know meet up with someone or, or get outside and do something normal it does just kind of reset everything again and the harder stuff is much easier to manage when you've had that opportunity to just yeah, get, even get on top of things, get on top of a bit of housework, get on top of the shopping, get to the post office. It just takes the pressure off from one part of your life so that you can focus that energy into where it's really needed. And it's great to hear how far Nora has come. She will need full care for life, special education and, and support forever. But oh, you've got such great communication skills with her. I was reading, you know what she wants, when she wants it. You know when she's in pain, you know when she wants to be picked up. Um, and it's great that you have someone that comes in regularly that also knows her almost the way you do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to be able to read and, you know, Erin was saying about being able to bounce stuff off, um, you know, to be able to bounce stuff off Trish when she comes in here. You know, we can do that. You can go. How did you find her today? I mean, we've had so many changes in Nora's, you know, in 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 in, in a you know, just shy of four, four years, there's been so many changes in medications and treatments and we've tried tried new medication and come off other ones. And, you know, to be able to have someone that you can say, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're weaning off that again. Can you keep an eye out and see if you notice anything, you know, funny about her movements, you know, when we're, when we're talking about seizures, you know, for Nora, there's, you know, there's 40, I don't know, some odd different seizure types and Nora's seizures can be quite subtle. So even just to have someone that knows her that well with that professional eye as well to be able to spot any of those things is is great. And even that, like, you know, do you think she's brewing a bit of a cold? Yeah, it's it's great to have someone that knows her that well as well. Oh, it's just incredible what you're doing, Alana. Parenting is challenging, but to become a medical expert on top of it, it just 
begs belief and for you to come on the phone and be bright and breezy I'm my I take my hat off to you I mentioned you've Tomas now aged one how are you managing mm. as a as a mum of, of two how are you managing to bounce between the two of them because I'm sure a boy age one is he on the move now I'm sure he comes with his own challenges oh yeah he he is on the move <laughs> he's on the move I think the phrase no climbing is probably used more than anything else in this house. And um, yeah, he's on the move. He's on the go. But you know what? He's so fantastic with Nora. Um, he, you know, Nora is, is his older sister. So as far as he's concerned, Nora's just his older sister. You know, he he involves her. We involve her. You know, we're, when we're reading books and stories and playing on the floor together, we do it all together. He's just starting to get into that sort of imaginative play stage of development. So we have a baby dolly in our house. Well, our baby dolly has a peg tube in her tummy to get her food and her medicine because, well, that's what you know, he sees with Nora. And so that's part of it. He, you know, Nora has a a standing frame that's on wheels. So it's to practice her standing and it kind of holds or supports her at the chest and the hips and the knees. I'm sure if my physio hears this, she won't like it, but he hops up on the back of the stander and we all go for a spin around the house. And as soon as I say the word stander, yep, yep, we know what to do. So, you know, they're, they're, involved together they play together it's it's you know incorporating Nora's needs into regular play um but I suppose that the the beauty of Jack and Jill as well as with any child you know Nora needs a lot I mean Nora needs full one-to-one attention all the time but so does a one-year-old really so it's great to have Jack and Jill that you know Nora is able to get her one-to-one time with Trish and then I can spend a bit of one-to-one time with Tomas when he needs it and yeah yeah but no it's 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 lovely having the two of them it's busy it's exhausting but it's lovely well it sounds like you were doing the most incredible job a house full of love and fun and i hope santa brings you all everything you deserve we wish you nora tomas and all your family a very happy christmas and thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today yeah i hope santa claus uh, is good to to all four of us you know frank and i owe so much to jack and jill um, it's lovely as parents, the break that we get just it's such a precious, precious gift. So I hope Santa Claus is as good to all the Jack and Jill families and nurses out there as well, because they give precious gifts all year long. Thank you very much. That is Alana Barrett, mum to almost four year old Nora and Tomas, as you heard. And thanks again also to Children's Liaison Nurse with the Jack and Jill Foundation, Erin Watt Shepherd. And Jack and Jill's Home for Christmas campaign is now underway with gifts ranging from scented candles by Paul and William Costello to limited edition signed prints from its incognito art sale. So to purchase a gift or make a donation, you've heard the power of their work. You can go to jackandjill.ie. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks as ever to my producer, John Fardy, to Garrett Mulhall and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. If you missed anything from the show, you can always find it in podcast at newstalk.com. I will see you next week.